We've talked before about the importance of making sure the credits of a song are properly captured, ideally at the same time as the song is recorded. With all the ways in which songs generate revenue today, making sure that each person who should be getting paid for that song is getting paid is more important than ever. Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the Music Business Association. Support for the future of what comes from Merch Table. With over 15 years of experience in merchandising, screen printing, tour support, and online fulfillment, Merch Table partners with artists and labels looking to jumpstart their business. Visit merchtable.com to learn more and open a store today. On today's episode, we talk about the importance of credits in music. It's all coming up on the future of what. Support for the future of what comes from SoundExchange, which provides royalty solutions and advocacy to ensure all music creators are paid what they are owed. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to Jackie Louis-Schurl of Jacksta. Jackie, welcome back to The Future of What. Portia, thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled to be back a second time. Thank you. Yeah, well, I'm thrilled to have you. Gosh, it's been quite a while since we spoke to you. I think it's been, what, two years? Oh my gosh, really? Gee, that flew by. <laughs> I know. Wow. It's crazy. Oh my well, gosh. you guys have been quite busy. You've definitely been doing a lot. A little bit, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us everything. You know, where are you at with Jaxta? I mean, it's been launched. It's out in the world. It is, yeah. And now you have the pro version, which I believe is in beta still, correct? Yes, correct. Yeah. Well, I guess a, a lot's happened since we last spoke. Last year, we signed what I like to say the four majors, so Sony, Universal, Warner, and Merlin, which was really exciting and spent a good majority of the year ingesting their data and then deduplicating it and mapping it together. We still have quite a deduplication job to go, but we have deduplicated roughly 23 million entities down to 2.1 million. We'll be really happy when we get it down to between 1.7 to 1.9. Oh my gosh. But what that means is, you know, because we receive data from everybody and officially, you know, from the custodians of the data, so record labels, publishers and different industry associations, we might have a profile. I mean, if I take Louis, our co-founder, as an example, we might have a feed from Sony of pieces of music that he's produced or co-written for their artists. We could also have him in a number of different indie labels, also across Warner and Universal. So at first, when you first go into Jackster, sometimes people can appear five, six, seven, eight, nine times. And then what we have to do is take that individual and check that they all are the same person, deduplicate it, and then make that into one individual and then set rules around that individual. So going forward, any new releases that come into our database are mapped to that one entity, if that makes sense, which I hope it does. I'm such a data person these days that sometimes I, it sounds like I'm speaking another language. So I just wanted to check that makes sense. <laughs> no, it, it absolutely does. Let me ask you a question. Do you have the ability, so let's say somebody is going on JAXTA and looking themselves up mm. and they find some of their credits and they don't agree with the attribution. Is there a process that person can take 
to correct the credits? Yes, absolutely. So on the site, which is open to everybody and it's free, so you just go to jaxter.com, if anybody sees a, a credit that they feel is incorrect or if they find you know multiple profiles of themselves, there's a feedback ticket on the right-hand side and all they have to do is click on that feedback ticket. They put their name and their email address in and then ideally in the subject heading, you know, incorrect credit attributed to me, you know, whatever the issue may be or, you know, multiple profiles for myself, you know, just like, hi there, I've found seven profiles for myself or my credit says I'm the drummer on this track and I actually played bass keys and I did the programming. Can we please fix? And if you have the ability to do it on your computer, you can take a screenshot and actually highlight the area where the issues may be and you log a ticket. What happens is that gets processed through a system that we use through JIRA, goes through to our customer service team and it gets allocated to one of our developers and then they go in, they do a forensic check to see, for example, you know, we had a producer, Lee Groves, who had multiple profiles and so he let us know. We went in, we deduplicated it and we made sure that there was only one profile for Lee. And in other cases, we've had situations where people's credits have been incorrect and what we do is we assess the incorrect credit. We will then often go back to the individual that's logged the ticket and ask for, you know, whatever information they can send us as a record of proof that they did indeed play drums or that they co-wrote the track. And then we go back to the data provider on their behalf. So we go back to the label or back to the publisher and say, look, we have this conflict. And the process usually takes anywhere between sort of three to four weeks to be fixed. And in excellent cases, it can get turned around within two weeks. But we have a pretty good strike rate and our partners are very keen to improve and correct their data. So they've been working with us in a brilliant way to help fix credits that might be incorrect. But getting that information accurate is obviously important for everybody because as we know, data lives for a long time and it drives decisions. So we we all need for it to be accurate. But going back to your further question about where we're at, in a quick summary, we now have over 42 million individual pages of credits. We have over 100 million, 100,000 individual entities that have been credited, over 27 million tracks. And that database is growing by a factor of at least 40,000 a day in terms of new release information that we're receiving from our partners. So it's a sizable database. It's not perfect. It never will be because, you know, there's just too much, which is a great thing. There's so much music being produced, but it's definitely as accurate as it can possibly be because of our processes. So if you want to go to a pretty good source of truth, and I think I'm being a bit humble there because I know that our data is really quite extraordinary. And I know that there are a number of industry associations that actually use JAXTA now as a reference point to check the accuracy of credit. So I'm really proud of of where we're at. I know we've got a long way to go, but we're definitely getting there. The seven years of hard work are paying off, Portia. (laughs) Well, absolutely. And I think, you know, what's quite interesting to me is that, you know, when we first started talking, when I first met you, which was actually more than two years ago now, there was a conversation in the industry about credits, but it wasn't a fervor the way that it is now. And I feel like you guys have really matured into a marketplace that is maturing along with you in terms of the understanding of the importance of credit. So I feel like you guys are really just right on time to arrive with JAXTA in the marketplace because I feel like, you know, now more than ever, people are really getting it about credits. 
Agreed. It, it feels like there's been a huge shift, don't you think? And, and just a general kind of awakening to the fact that credit's actually really important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we have to continue to educate and continue to open people's eyes because, I mean, Jaxta is a wonderful thing to have in the marketplace, but we have to get those kids who are writing songs in their bedrooms to understand. And we have to get the people who are going into the studio for the first or second or third or fourth or fifth time, because sometimes they don't really understand yet how important this is. I agree. And I think there's a real education process there, because if you think back to what was a period of a golden era in the music industry of recording, you know, through sort of 60s, 70s and 80s leading up to the 90s, there was always an engineer or an engineering assistant in the room. And they were keeping very detailed sheets of who was in the room, who was playing which instrument, who were the songwriters, who was the producer. And in this day and age of of modern technology, it's incredible that people can create entire albums in their bedroom or, you know, amazing artist Flume. He's been known to write and produce an entire song flying from, you know, Sydney to New York. So (laughs) there are incredible things that people can achieve today. But we've got to capture that metadata that's created at the moment that the music's being created because those credits live forever. They're important because they help people get more work down the line because it effectively becomes your CV. And, you know, for anybody that isn't a creative, that isn't in the studio recording, so that's myself and and mostly the rest of us, we all have LinkedIn. We have CVs. We have systems where... You know, we can include what we've worked on. But for the creatives, you know, they don't really have LinkedIn. It's not, I I don't know if it's a cool factor thing or, you know, I know that my husband's not looking on LinkedIn. as He's a record producer to find people to co-write with or to bring session musicians in. It's all word of mouth and it's all network and research because obviously he's a co-founder, so he uses Jackster a lot. But, you know, prior to Jackster, he used other databases to find out who worked on what. So, it's really important that the young ones that are that are coming up today understand that their credits really matter, not just for them to get work, but also to in the future for them to get paid and to get their correct royalties. And you're absolutely right, Portia. There's a whole education process because it's not just registering with a publisher and your performance royalty organization. It's also like, have you registered with SAG-AFTRA in America? Have you registered with PPO in the UK? Have you registered with PPCA in Australia? Are you making sure that you've covered all of your bases in terms of your potential royalties as a creative? And so having an accurate database of this information is really crucial. And also too for music discovery. You know, I think it's fantastic that, you know, Tidal and Pandora have added credits to their music services. It's brilliant. And, you know, Tidal credits are hyperlinkable, which is, you know, always the end goal and the dream. And as people discover who's worked on a project, they can go on a deeper journey to find out, you know, my God, this person's produced all of these albums, all of these songs, or mastered all of this work. Apple's been doing these amazing songbooks where they go into an album or a track and you get to meet the performers, meet the songwriters, meet the producer, and meet the session musicians. And you can actually see everything that they've worked on. And it's like the next level experience of crate digging with vinyl. You know, when you used to look at the back of vinyl and go, 
oh my God, you know, Michael McDonald produced this amazing album or John Oliver produced this amazing album and then discovering that you'd start following producers as well as the artists and the songwriters. And kids want that information today. They, they crave it. They go to Wikipedia to try and find out who's been involved in which project and people would prefer an accurate source of information always and so that's our mission is to create a portal that fans of music and the industry can rely on that's as accurate as possible but we appreciate that sometimes the data received you know might have some kinks in it but we're here to work on that and work with everybody to iron those kinks out as much as possible. Absolutely. I just recently heard that I don't remember the statistic, but it was that a high proportion of the questions asked to smart speakers in people's homes have to do with credits, Yes, which is, you know, like, who plays drums on this song, Alexa or Echo or whoever? Yes. I mean, to me, that's fabulous. That's such a an indication that people are interested in this information and they want to be able to get to it. And so it's like, for us, there's a very strong financial motive for artists and producers to have their credits accessible so that they can get properly paid. Mm. But there's also just like, you know, regular people want to know too. (laughs) You know, this is interesting information. Yeah. I I had a situation recently where I was in a meeting with somebody and they asked me to look up a drummer and the drummer was Alain Rubin of Paramore. And I was like, oh my God, (laughs) because I just got thrown a name. And then I realized, oh, it's that Alan, oh, of Paramore. That's incredible. <laughs> so I, we started going through his credits and it was, it was a discovery. And I found myself, you know, later when I had more time, you know, that week, I was listening to all the stuff that he had recorded on because my beloved late father was a jazz drummer. I've always had such respect for drummers because their work is just so crucial to the whole band, tying it all together. And it's definitely one of the hardest gigs in a band physically. So I'm sure I'm going to have, you know, singers and, and uh, good Paris annoyed at me for saying that. And I don't, I don't, certainly don't mean any disrespect, but drumming's hard work, man. You know, like it's not easy. And that started the journey of discovery for me with Alan drumming. And I've done that before with Steve Jordan when I thought he was initially a songwriter producer and discovered that, you know, he's one of the greatest drummers of all time. But I actually only discovered that through Jackson because I haven't really had the ability to, to do a deep dive like that before. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Credits really matter. It's so cool. And they, they really matter too because if you think about the people who are making the music, musicians often, they don't work nine to five jobs, right? Like most people in their day-to-day lives who don't work in the music industry or the entertainment industry probably work a Monday to Friday. And I know that's a generalization, but if we looked at the majority of the world, a lot of people work Monday to Friday. Musicians don't. They work seven days a week. If there's a session that needs to be recorded at 2 p.m. on a Sunday, they're there. If it's got to be recorded at 1 o'clock in the morning in a recording studio in downtown New York, they're there. And often they're sacrificing moments in their private lives to be available to, you know, get that recording. And it matters to them and it matters to their families and their friends that they're credited and acknowledged for their contribution to that piece of music. So there's also a human element to this that can't be forgotten. And it sadly has for a long time, but it's really great to see that there's a course correction going on now and everybody is realizing the moral importance of credits and the monetary importance of credits. 
they are definitely hand and glove. They fit together equally, you know, 50, 50%, making 100 as far as we consider it at Jackstar, that's for sure. Absolutely. Well, Jackie Louis Schorl from Jackstar, thank you so much for being with me again on The Future of What? Oh, Portia, thank you. You are the best. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you again. That was Mystic by Cindy Wilson. 
If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our newsletter to find out what's coming up next. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to Deborah Fairchild of Viva Sound. Deborah, welcome to The Future of What? Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad you're here. Okay, so I want to hear all about what's new in the world of Viva Sound. Can you just it's lay it on me? Question. I know. Thank you. I was like, <laughs> okay. What are you doing? No, thank you so much for having us because we actually do have a lot of fun things going on this year that are new and different from our core business that we've been doing for the past 17 years. Yeah. Which is a long time. That is a long time. So what we've done is we have built a product built for producers, engineers, and songwriters, which I know is a big topic right now. The Grammys are doing their save credit or give the credit, whatever that hashtag is. And mm -hmm. Jaxta is a great company that has launched showing comprehensive credits and things like that. So our role within it is to capture that metadata, credits, photos, videos, audio, everything that creators are creating while they're songwriting, recording, can be stored in our platform. Fantastic. And I that's know, we're really Viva excited about it. Viva Collect. Collect. Yes. yes. That's so exciting. I know. So it's been a fun journey. We have another side of our business where we verify credits and audio and metadata for record labels. So that's been something we've done for a really, really long time. So it's fun to have a new product that we can reach even more people. I think what is really important about this conversation, honestly, is just that we're having it in this country. You know, I yes, think the true. fact that we're really talking about credits and the importance of credits and that there are companies like Jaxta coming online and you guys doing this with Viva Collect, you know, it's important that we actually talk about this because I feel like we have a responsibility to educate everybody that this is necessary. And I think it's happening organically that people are learning not only is it important because if you're not credited, you're not getting paid. Exactly. You know, but also, you know, because it's like in the culture now, it's starting to be more in the culture of like, oh, when you create something, you need to actually say who was there. I always give the example of my own punk band that I was in. And I remember being in the studio. I mean, I remember this. I think it was 25 years ago. It was in Brooklyn or Queens. Not sure. And I couldn't tell you the name of that studio, the guy who recorded the record. I couldn't tell you anything now. I know it's amazing how people, when they're in it, they think, well, I can't ever forget this moment. Of and then course. the details are always forgotten, it seems. Just instantly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so it's, it's interesting because there really isn't a product out there that has the specific features and field sets specifically for that issue. So that's why I'm really excited to launch this because it's a file sharing Dropbox comparison except it has all of the credits added on top of it right and then it also has a really cool tiered permissions so users collaborations giving specific access to certain people certain times giving it the access revoking the access when they're done so they can upload files but they can't change existing credits things like that so as music's made all over the world really fragmented you can still have a central place to gather capture and ensure that everything is valid and ready for submission into either CD Baby, TuneCore, Ditto, you could do that. Or because of our other side of our company, the actual file submissions to major label groups is really streamlined as well. Oh, that's awesome. I know, really excited. I just did an episode of this podcast that was about the black box or what used to be called the black box and is now sort of like 
unclaimed royalties or undistributable royalties, mm-hmm. undistributed or undistributable. And really, the what some of the people I was talking to were saying the reason that they're undistributable these days, nine times out of 10, is because let's say an artist goes into a studio, they record everything, they do the thing, and then they go turn it all into a, a label. The label has all the metadata. They have all that information. But then they give it to a different producer to do a remix. Right. And it's like that happens all the time and it's a very normal thing. But what, you know, it's like Yeah, all any of the moment, derivative works created yeah. from the original credits. In other words, you can break the chain at any time mm-hmm. in the whole process. And I think that's the part that's really problematic because we're having more and more things like that in the marketplace. Right. So, you know, we really got to get people to understand at every stage you need to get this information in there. Absolutely. And I think the ease of access has not really been there because there hasn't been something built specifically for a recording engineer in in podcasts like what we're recording now. We've gotten a lot of feedback from engineers doing podcasts of issues with episodes and which version are we going to use and do we have clearance to use this music embedded and threading into it. So that's another group of people that I think are going to be really excited to use our platform as well. So does Viva Collect allow for that? Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Yeah, so it'll be, it'll oh be great. God. So it's we're really looking forward to, it can already handle video as well. So we're going to branch into videographers and photography it can handle photos. But our main core with the initial launch are songwriters, engineers, and producers. So exciting. I know. That is super so excited. excited. Oh my gosh. So what more do we need to do as an industry? I mean, I'm, I know we're both trying. <laughs> this right, is part right. of our daily lives. But what more do we need to do as an industry to get people to understand how important it is to collect this data at the source? Well, I think you touched on the education component, which I really do believe a lot in. So MTSU's recording industry program and Belmont's recording industry program are already on board with teaching Viva Collect to their students. So I think that's a huge part of it the outreach that we're going to do with the full sale recording schools like that. So when people are just getting into music for the first time, it's not even something that they don't know about. Right. They're learning Pro Tools, Logic, Signal Flow, Compression, all of that. And then they learn metadata, secure file sharing, actually don't send a link of stems. Why do people do that? They (laughs) They do it all the time. It's crazy. But, you know, our platform, they can share it within the platform. And so all of this unreleased music's not just going out on the web. Right. Which I feel like in 10 years, that'll be a super archaic way that people share files uh-huh. as a link. I mean, no yeah. no one does that. So, well, they do that now. But I don't think they'll right. continue to do that. So our platform has the two-factor authentication. So you have, you know, your phone number the same way, banking. Because a lot of these files are worth a lot of money. So it's like, why are they just being haphazardly tossed around the web. Right, absolutely. Yeah. So you guys have another product called Viva Live. Yes, that's fun. That's a super fun thing that we've been we've been doing it for quite a long time with quite a few notable artists. I'm not sure if I can mention all of them, so I'm just not going to. But they are great, really successful touring artists, and we didn't think to market it in its own light, but it actually is. So we one artist I can speak about is Jason Isbell. So we've handled all of his live recordings. Tracy Thomas is a, his manager, a great person, and really understanding that her artist with Jason is a poet and a songwriter. You want to capture every story, every show, everything that they do on the road as a band. And then there's lots of ways that they can repurpose that. So we handle 
all the files coming in from the front of house engineers and so all of the credits, all the featured artists, anyone who jumps on stage, dates, venues, locations. And it's been really cool to see how they are utilizing that. So either giving it away for fan clubs or snippets or promotional for thank you for coming to the show, here's a gift or things like that. So it's a whole nother side of the industry that is really lucrative for touring. I mean, that's definitely not an area that the industry seems to say isn't making money. No, no one has <laughs> it's been. It's definitely making money. <laughs> so that. it's great. You know, there's a lot of content that they can then use for documentaries, right. you know, all different things that if they capture now, they can either use it later or immediately incentivize content with their existing fan base. Exactly. You know, all of this makes me think about how changes in technology ends up driving the changes that we do in this industry in ways that we would never have thought of because I'm just thinking about all this content, which we're now calling content, first of all. That's a right. new thing to say. Right. But like for years, everyone had fabulous live shows. You know, people had were out there on the road and every night was different and their set lists were, you know, exciting. And mm-hmm. I mean, the Grateful Dead was obviously the, the, the first moment when people were like, I'm going to follow them and see every single different thing they do every mm-hmm. night, whatever. There have been a lot of bands like that. But it does beg the question because ultimately what has happened is now because of a simple change in technology, all of that stuff is monetizable. Mm -hmm. So it just changes everybody's attitude towards like what is content and what is worth collecting and how do you collect it? And so I I have some hope that even though we have a long way to go, products like Viva Collect and Jaxta and uh, many other things in the marketplace and just the knowledge and awareness is going to help people start to think about it at that moment of creation, you know? Absolutely. I think... You're definitely right. People always thought of recording. So I need to put out content in terms of, I wrote this song, now we're going to record it. That's always been what people are focused on. And now I think it's just, especially the younger generation, always on their phones, wanting stuff, wanting new stuff, where I still listen to the same songs that I listened to 20 (laughs) years ago. I'll still listen to it again. Where I know a lot of people that don't do that. They're like, I want to hear it in a different way. And I want to hear something new. And I want to see a video and all that kind of stuff. So... I think it's a fun time. Consumption is high, which is always a good thing. Yeah. And as long as we make sure that we capture those credits so that people are getting paid properly. Getting paid for the consumption. That's the trick. Yeah, because we don't want them not getting paid. Right. And I feel like there's a funny thing in our culture. Like there's this weird double-edged sword because, you know, I remember when I was young and in a band, on the one hand, you're like, I'm totally going to be a rock star. Right. And on this other hand, you're like, nobody wants to pay to hear me do this. You know, it's it's more like I'm doing this with my friends. We're having fun and it doesn't feel serious. And that's why, you know, I'm thinking 25 years ago, I knew we were making a record. Like it was serious. It was really serious in my world, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't so serious that I was standing there over the engineer going, okay, now write down, you know, my name, your name, the name of the studio, you know, how long this track is, but like everything. I wasn't. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't think of it like that. I didn't have that in my mind. I was just like, oh, this is just us messing around doing, making a record. Right, right. You know, I wasn't thinking about posterity. Well, now there's new ways, I think, with that metadata to, you know, let's pull up a playlist for everything recorded at Capitol Studios or everything mm. recorded this month at Abbey Road Studio B. Like that, That's those true. things are possible now. Yeah. So I think there are new ways to discover for people that are really into audio and recording the acoustics or let's check out everything in Blackbird's Studio A that was mixed there, stuff like that. If that metadata is available, lots of creative ways to expose 
different sides of music are available too, which is super fun. That is super I think fun. we'll see more of that yeah. as well. And then, of course, there's the public-facing side, which is that people are now, now that we have a product like Jaxta, mm-hmm. people are actually excited to go down those rabbit holes and find right. out. I love you know, that about love Jaxta. That. Like yeah. the, the linkage that they've been doing on the back end is really, really cool. So being able to click on a bass player and a guitar player and a songwriter and really discover that. Because I remember one of my friends when I moved back to Nashville from New York, they said, I can't believe you live there, all this kind of stuff. I don't like country music. And then they started naming, well, I like this song and I like this song. And it was different country artists. And I said, do you know, it's interesting. You like that songwriter. And they were like, what? <laughs> and it was, the songwriter was actually Brandy Clark. And I said, yeah, she was a songwriter on all those songs. So that's probably what you like. Oh, is her songwriting. And they were like, oh, this was like five years ago and there was nothing available to really go to verified credits to know that. Sure. So I think that's a really cool thing that Jackie and her team have been working on. Yeah, it's really cool. And then also the part about, I can't, I wish I could, I have to look it up. There's some statistics somewhere that says the percentage of questions that are being asked to smart speakers that have to do with music as, as opposed to just what's the name of this song. Right. You know, but like who played drums on this song? Stuff like that. I know. It's great. It's so cool. It's super fun. Yeah. And then Jackson can power that and or whoever else comes along in the marketplace. And that's what's great. I think that's going to fuel a lot more users moving over to our platform from traditional file sharing. I'm just going to share a Word doc sort of thing is the whole capturing the credits at the same time of sharing the file. So the more that things like Alexa and all that grow and Jackson grows, I think our product will be even more viable for them. Well, good luck with that in 2020. I'm excited to see how that goes. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Deborah Fairchild is the president of Viva Sound. Thanks for being with me today on The Future of What? Thank you, Portia. I appreciate it.
That was Things I'd Like to Say by Cindy Wilson. You're listening to The Future of What. After the show, take a moment to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show, and we love hearing from you. Also, check out our short podcast series about Bratmobile's potty mouth. It's called Girl Germs, and you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to Reed Shippen. My guest today is Reed Shippen, the amazing Grammy-winning producer, engineer, and all-around bon vivant. Yeah, so how many Grammys do you have? Six? I have five of the statues. Five statues? But you know what I like to say, actually, instead of how many Grammys I have, it's how many Grammy award-winning records I've been able to work on. So I think it's... that number is too big, right? We can't... No, I think it's like 11. Oh, okay. That's reasonable. Yeah. But, it, you know, it's it's never one person. It's always a team, right? So I think it's cooler to just be like, you know what? This is all of us. Exactly. And you bring up a good point, which is this is a team, which is what we're talking about today. Right. We're talking about all the people that it takes to make a song and the importance of recording those names properly when the song is, is oh my put God, down, yes. right? Yes. 
This is critical. It is critical. Yeah. So we talked to Deborah Fairchild of Viva Sound, of course, and Jackie from Jaxta. But really what we wanted to talk to you about today, or what not we, the royal we, but me, what I wanted to talk to you about today was just, you know, you're in the studio, you're on the front line of this, right? I am. And so just talk a little bit about for those of us who are listening who haven't been in a band and haven't, you know, worked intimately in this world. You've totally been in bands. Well, yes, I'm speaking of these other people who are listening (laughs) who might not have experienced this. What happens in the studio that would make it difficult for things to be recorded properly at the source? Well, I mean, a lot of times when you get people who make music for a living and you put them in a confined space, it's kind of like herding cats on acid. You know, I mean, like everything <laughs> happens. And and I mean, creatives are creatives because they're creative and they're not creatives because they have good organizational skills. Right. So it's not like they're spreadsheeting all of this stuff. Right. So very quickly when you're looking at a record that might might take a few months or even like over a year to make and it's going all over the place and there's people working on it all over the place. Like, I mean, the organizational stuff gets really rough. Yeah. So it's really hard to keep track of who does what. Yeah. So Viva Sound has created this Viva Collect product. Yes. So have you guys started using that? Oh yeah, absolutely. And how is it helping? Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, it's, you know, the onus is on the people to actually put the information into the thing. Right. And I have deep thoughts about how that should best be done, which I've discussed with the good people at Viva, and we can talk about it here if you want. Yeah. But we're still kind of in the dark ages of some of this information technology, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, let's face it, just technology as a whole is moving slower through our society than we would think. I mean, it's exploding in like social media stuff, but then when you you log into your bank and they don't even have two-factor authentication, you're like, wait a second. It's harder for me to get into my Facebook account than it is in my bank account. That's a little bit scary. Yeah. So the music industry has a lot of data related to it and the people that are trying to come up with the solutions are great, but we need to, I think we need to kind of do more. Definitely. Well, and also I think, you know, in our lifetimes, I mean, since we've been working in this industry, it went from a situation where it takes, you know, a week, two weeks, three weeks, months, a year to put together an album. But once the album is put together, there was a lag period before that album was for sale in the marketplace. Right. The problem now is you can put a song up anywhere on any platform instantaneously, and that instantly starts generating revenue. Mm-hmm. So if you have no metadata supporting who played on that song, who gets paid? Right. And it's that, just impossible. Yeah, and that's the challenge. Yeah. And what I think we should be looking at is not just trying to put it in on the front end, but also making sure that the people who are the most interested parties are participating in getting the data. And, you know, basically we need to look at a Wikipedia model for a lot of this stuff. Ooh, that's interesting. Like a crowdsourced, but verified. Right. Well, so what what happens now is when you do a record, the producer is actually responsible for getting together everybody who played on it and everybody who was involved with it. And you can hope that the producer turns it in or hope that the production coordinator kind of knows. But then if you looked at, if you're using union players, you could look at the union contracts. And, you know, if you really want to verify who's doing what, the one person, who's the one person that wants to make sure they have credit? God, I hope the artist. Right. The artist and, <laughs> and, and, and the artist and whoever is actually doing the playing, right? So what we need to do is start to say, okay, here's a new record coming out from Whoever. Kenny Chesney. We're in Nashville. We'll use Kenny. Who played on it? And everyone who played on that record will weigh in. And so then we've got 
all of these players saying, oh, I played on these songs and uh, here's who I played with. And then you have the production coordinator saying, well, here's who we booked. And we have the union saying, here are the union cards that we filed. And we have the producer saying, here are the people that I hired. And we have the mix engineer and my assistant saying, well, here are the credits that we got from the song. Slam all of that together and you're going to get a much cleaner data than here's one thing where you put it in and I hope it's right. But doesn't that sound like it's going to take like a real coordinator? Like someone's got to be, and you are too busy. I mean, you're a producer. You've, you're doing other things. Do you really have the time to coordinate all those parties and contracts? No, I don't, which is why using entity resolution and machine learning is the way to like coalesce all of this. I mean, what if, what if you were a session player and when you walked out of the session, you got a text and it just said, hey, we show that you played guitar on these songs. And you could say, yeah, and I also played acoustic on this and I played a little piano on that, you know? And so then when it gets reported later and it checks back with what the player says they played and it checks back with the drummer saying the bass player was on this gig and the union has cards for those people on that date. And, you know, all of a sudden the, the data gets a lot clearer if you have multiple sources that you can resolve with each other. And I think it's important. And I think, you know, I mean, there's going to be mistakes and there's going to be fraud sometimes like i've had plenty of people online saying oh i i mixed this record when it was something that i did <laughs> yeah that's a whole nother Gotta set of that. stories yeah it's always fun <laughs> but let's see how well they do on the second record right <laughs> but if you if you put it in the hands of not just the people who are responsible for the information but also the people who really want to make sure they're credited correctly it's, it's going to get more accurate so i've been suggesting this to to deborah at viva and and some other people too so who sends the text yeah, that's a good question. In my mind, let's just stick with Viva because they're a good example here. You would put in information on who was playing and their contact information goes out and then there is either some sort of notification through that or basically just a private Wikipedia page. Mm, you know, where it's, you know how Wikipedia works, right? Like it gets accurate because everybody weighs in and fixes it. So now basically all you're saying is you just want the people who are involved with making the creative content to be involved with making sure that all the credits are correct. Right, right. Now, the blockchain is brought up a lot in this specific arena. You know, I go to conferences a lot and people are always talking about, oh, the blockchain is really going to make attribution easy in the future. And my concern with that has always just been human error, you know, the difficulty of getting humans to record things properly. Right. And it makes me nervous, you know, the idea of like, well, you put in all the data at the beginning and then it's immovable. But I guess what you're saying is sort of like if there's layers and layers and layers of verification, you can at least, if you did it in a blockchain format, it would like, you could, everything would be there to look at. I think the blockchain becomes the the record after all is said and done. The, the thing that we're talking about here is just making the margin of error as slim as humanly possible. There will always be mistakes, always, right? Because people are involved. But if you can take multiple touches away from it, if you can get away from the fact that a lot of the album credits that are out on Spotify right now were because some intern was typing them in from a CD booklet, mm-hmm. you know, which it, which leads to all sorts of heinous misspellings and all sorts of craziness. And again, you know, when you start onboarding this stuff, we worked on Chesney's record for over a year, I think. There's a lot of songs cut. When you start finalizing the credits, if all of these players started getting notification and it just said, hey, Kenny Greenberg, we show that you played on nine of these songs, you know? The only person on earth that's going to be 100% incentivized to make sure that they're credited correctly 
is Kenny. Right. Right? Kenny Greenberg. So if he's like, no, 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 I played on 11 songs, then at least we have a flag that says, well, maybe we need to go research this a little bit further. Right. You know, because I guarantee you the guitar player wants credit for the stuff he played guitar on. Absolutely. You know? And the producer, I'm sure he wants the guitar player to have credit. And I'm sure Chesney wants everybody to have credit because, you know, that's just the kind of guy that he is. But that's not a priority for him. Right. It is a priority for the guitar player. God, this is making me so tired. Like, this is this is another reason why I think, you know, any any kind of system we can create to collect this information at the source and get it verified quickly is so important. Because I couldn't tell you, you know, what song. I mean, I was just thinking about, like, the guitar player. Maybe he's got a better memory than I do, and he remembers that he played on 11 songs. Right. Two years from now, forget it. I can't tell you. I couldn't tell you what day you and I had this conversation. Right. You know what me I mean? Either. Like, it's just, it won't happen. But when you tell him that maybe part of the way he gets paid... You know, well, of course, there's an incentive going forward. Yeah. Like then, then you're highly incentivized, yeah. right? Yeah, you're totally. So it's finding the correct protocol that makes the margin of error as small as possible, and then implementing that in a way that the creatives will buy into. Because you know, I mean, musicians are kind of crazy, right? They need something easy that can be handed to them, and they need a way to check it. There's more to it than that, too, because I I think about this all the time. There's like a philosophical thing in our culture where there's an inherent negativity to making it seem like you're creating art for the purposes of commerce, right? Mm. And so being as bald as like, these are all the people who played on the song that we just completed today with like a whole bunch of blood, sweat, and tears. And like, I cried for 45 minutes in the bathroom before I was able to like put that vocal down. <laughs> you know, it's like, and then you come out and you just like write it all, all the credits down. Like that feels, I think to some people, like just too mercenary. You know, this is about my art. This is about my my heart and soul, not about, you know, making sure I get every penny in the future. True. And I feel like we see that with artists all the time. And I always talk about the time that that guy from the Hold Steady say that like he didn't care that people were downloading his albums for free or stealing his music off the internet for free because he was just in it to play with his friends. And I was always like, okay, I totally see your point of view, but like your record label doesn't feel that way. I'm here to tell you. (laughs) That's true. Well, and there's, I mean, yeah, I appreciate him saying that because if that's actually true, that's kind of awesome. You know, I'm sure that when he goes and signs his mortgage checks, he's happy that the that the, the system works. Yeah, exactly. Right? right. So. Yeah. Well, that's it. We talked all about that's credits. It. We're done. <laughs> solve the problem. We solved the problem. This well, is a rabbit hole, by the way, that you can do- go down. We've thought about things like everybody comes into the studio and plugs in a little key, right? Or it checks their phone, and then it's it knows. Now, doing some of the data stuff that we've done, it is entirely possible to track people. So another layer of this might be like, okay, my name's Derek and I played guitar on this record at Zach Brown's studio on such and such a day and you report that and then it's actually going to check your phone data to see if you were actually at Zach Brown's studio between 10 and 3 on a Thursday the 29th. That's amazing. It could happen. And you you can get that permission from the players by telling them, hey, if you give us the permission to do this or if you use this app or if you do whatever, we're going to make sure that you actually get credit on everything that you're getting credited on. And what if we made it fun? Like, I mean, you know how you can check in on your phone, says where you are, whatever that used to be. People did that all right? Whatever it was. Yeah. I don't know, remember some dumb thing. I could never just did change it. that to four chords. Exactly. Four <laughs> chords and a dream <laughs> that we could get that done. But yeah, I mean, I just think I think it's critical. But I also like, couldn't we just pay somebody who works at your studio to like some intern or something to like walk around with a clipboard and make sure that they well, write down so, everybody? Yeah, but here's the problem. Like when I'm mixing, I get stuff sent to me over the internet. Oh yeah. It could have been cut on the bus or mm. 
somebody said, oh, we should get Danny to overdub a mandolin on this. So they just email him or text him. He's like, yeah, send me the file. And they send him a MP3 and he plays mandolin and then he sends the mandolin to me. Mm -hmm. So it ends up in the song. But the only person who really knows that he did that was me. Right. Right. So again, if I forget to say, oh, that mandolin is him, he might not get that credit, but he's going to remember and double check. Right. Right. So we hope. Yeah, we hope. Yeah. We'll see. Well, maybe once we all get chips implanted in our heads, like Elon Musk says, then... It'll be a lot easier to track everybody, that's for sure. It'll be a lot easier to track everybody. (laughs) That's the plan. (laughs) Amazing. Well, Reed Shippen, thanks so much for being with me today on The Future of What. Thank you. This is awesome. Thank you.
That was On the Inside by Cindy Wilson. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Cindy Wilson, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at thefutureofwhatshow.com and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was engineered by Clark Buckner at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center and is produced by Will Watts. I'm Portia Sabin, president of the Music Business Association. See you next week. 